Acts chapter 10 um, from verse 30. Um, And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and caused him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Sarah, thanks so much for reading. Uh, Can I encourage you to take a Bible and have a Bible out with you? Because I'll be um, just pointing us to the Bible as we go along. And the question that we are considering this lunchtime is what is God doing in the world today? What is God doing in the world today? I want to suggest that more than ever, this question is a really pertinent question for us to consider. Uh, You see, if we don't understand what God is doing in the world rightly. Um, our confidence can be really rocked when things go wrong. So, I mean, some people might suggest that God is all about giving us a better life now. And in a sense, that's, there's some truth in that, that being a Christian, life does get better. But you see, when times get hard, um, especially in the current situation with the virus, it can be really discouraging uh, if we think that all that God is doing is making life better now. Uh, we can really doubt if God is good. Or some might suggest that God is all about granting protection to us. And in one sense, uh, there's some truth in that. So I do pray for protection for my family and myself. But I want to ask, is that the main thing that God is doing in the world? today. I mean, the truth is Christians, uh, they do die. Uh, They do 
get the virus. And, and when that happens, it's very easy to lose heart. And we might think that God doesn't care. So the question we need to consider is what is God doing in the world today? What do you think you say? Uh, what would you say? I wonder what you guys um, shared with one another during your breakout groups. And even if you don't believe in God today, um, I wonder what you think that he should be doing. Uh, the good thing about the Bible is we don't have to speculate and we have God's word to tell us what he is doing. We are in Acts chapter 10 today and the whole passage um, that we're looking at is from Acts chapter 10 verse 1 all the way to chapter 11, so chapter 11 verse 18. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to send us uh, the file, uh, which ooh, I don't think I can send the file. Um, I don't think I can send the file. Um, I'm going to send the handout to you guys. That's okay. I don't think I can send the file anymore. But it's okay. I'll flash the handout on the screen, which you guys can follow along. Um, but the four main scenes that we see um, in our handout, um, in the passage today, uh, there are four big scenes in this whole section. So in day one, um, if that tracks from verse one, verse 8, we see Cornelius, and Cornelius is a devout man. Uh, he fears God, and he receives a vision from God, and he receives a vision to look for, for Peter. At day 2, that's from verse 9, and if you look down to verse 9, you can see there the word the next day, and that's the next scene. And Peter there, he receives a vision from God, a great sheet coming down out of heaven with all the animals on the sheet. Um, and God says to Peter, uh, God makes all these animals clean. And at that very moment, uh, the people that Cornelius sent to look for him um, arrive at Peter and call him to come uh, to meet Cornelius. So that's day two, scene two. Scene three, uh, Peter goes with them. He meets Cornelius and he shares the gospel and all the Gentiles gets converted. In 4, that's from chapter 11, verse 1, Peter recounts this whole episode to the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, so let me ask, what do you think this passage is all about? I once heard a sermon that this sermon, that this passage is, is all about Cornelius. And it's for Christians to realize that not all non-Christians are satanic worshippers. I mean, there are some Christians who, sorry, some non-Christians who are quite respectable people. And it's unhelpful to classify all non-Christians as people who worship Satan. And I want to say, of course, that's true. And if you're not a Christian today, um, let me put on record that I don't think that you are by definition a satanic worshiper. But I want to ask, do you think that Luke's main point in our passage today um, is his priority to provide a sociology lesson to understand people? And I want to suggest, no, there's more going on in our passage today. Uh, I'm going to flash up the, the handout. And you can see in, in point one, um, you can see in the handout that in our passage, God is clearly taking the initiative in our passage. 
See, last week in Acts chapter 9, we saw something big was happening. Peter, um, he healed a lame man. And Peter, he gave life to Tabitha, life from the dead. And we mentioned that chapter 9 was a bit like a a drum roll, priming us for something big that's going to happen in chapter 10. And this week, we see very clearly that God is taking the initiative more than before. Now look at verse 3. We see there an angel of God speaking to Cornelius. We see in verse 13, Peter hearing a voice from heaven and having a vision. And as Peter is still trying to work out what the vision is, look at verse 19. We see God's spirit there speaking to him. Verse 44, uh, you see God's Holy Spirit being poured out on them. And in chapter 11, verse 17, Peter clearly says that this whole movement is God's initiative. So God in this passage, he's clearly taking the initiative. Um, Let me tell you a slightly embarrassing story. Uh, When I was a teenager, I I had to to make a, a really big decision and I, I wanted to know what God was doing. So I, I had one of those stopwatches, if you can see here. It's one of those which have a, yeah, you can tell the, the digital seconds. And I said that if the second hand showed an odd number, God is saying yes. And if it's showing an even number, God is saying no. The truth is I, I wanted him to say yes. So the first time I did it, I looked at the, uh, the second hand, it showed an even number. And I, I didn't really want to accept that as an answer. So I put it, my hand down again and looked at it again too. It showed an odd number. God saying yes. And what's happening in this passage is not, it's not like that. Okay? There was no divine intervention that day. And there was no coincidence that, that that was happening. I set the parameters for God. But in our passage, God is clearly taking the initiative. Um, he's acting in a unique way, uh, dealing with the course of history to make a big point. So the main character in our passage is not Cornelius, it's not Peter, but God. God is on the move. He is taking the initiative and he is on the move. Uh, But what is God doing? Uh, What is he taking the initiative for? And that's where we come to point two um, in the handout. God is changing religion. You see, in the Old Testament, God acted primarily through the nation of Israel. Um, He initiated food laws to mark them out as different from the other nations. And there were different laws about what they could eat eat, and how they could kill and cook their food um, so as to limit interaction and to make them distinct from the other nations. And by implication, that caused a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. But look at verse look at verse 11. And Peter saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened 
three times and the thing was taken at once to heaven. See here, God is changing religion. Uh, God initiated the Old Testament laws for Israel. And here, God is initiating the removal of those laws. Three times that it happens, uh, showing that's a sign of confirmation that God indeed is changing religion. And I want to suggest as well, it's, it's possible and it's easy for us to me- miss the magnitude of what's happening here. Uh, some of you perhaps may come from a Muslim background and you do appreciate what's happening here, but a lot of us here wouldn't think twice before we bite into a bacon sandwich. You see, the laws were in Israel were put in place for 1,500 years. They were deeply entrenched into societal norms. Uh, there were people who you could interact with, people who you could marry, people who you couldn't befriend. And the supermarkets were organized around all these laws. The laws were ingrained into the fabric society. And in chapter 10, um, all those laws were removed. Uh, imagine after this, this virus um, is over and we, we go out onto the streets and imagine all rules of queuing or saying thank you are removed. Uh, that would be really, really strange. And that's exactly what's happening here in a passage. Uh, God is changing religion. And I suppose that explains why point one is there. Uh, God is taking the initiative because something big is happening and religion is changing. But for, for what purpose, uh, to, to what end? Why is God going through all this trouble? Uh, we've seen in scene two, uh, Peter is receiving the vision from God and the man that Cornelius sent is calling him to come. Scene three, and that's from verse 24. Uh, Peter arrives and he enters in and Peter asks Cornelius, what is he being sent for? Cornelius then tells Peter of his vision, but then look down to verse 33. And this is what Cornelius says. So after seeing the vision, so I send for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And it's as if whatever Peter is saying next comes from the very mouth of God. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. 
why is God taking the initiative? Why is God changing religion? Uh, it's very clear. It's for the acceptance of the nations. It's for the acceptance of the nations. Uh, verse 34, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 30, verse 36, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. In verse 42, Jesus is the one appointed to be the judge of all, both the living and the dead. And everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness. You see, it's for all, uh, for everyone, for the nations, for the acceptance of the nations. So what is God doing in the world today? Um, he is accepting the nations. And we see God's stamp of approval in the verses that come after in verse 44. Look at verse 44. While Peter was saying, still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues, extolling God. You see, the Holy Spirit being poured out, uh, that's the same experience that the Jews experienced in Pentecost in chapter 2. The same experience of speaking in tongues, the same promised spirit by Ezekiel, by Jeremiah, the same spirit that was promised to Israel has been poured out on the Gentiles. And if you notice in verse 44, it's, it's really interesting that the Gentiles, Cornelius, he doesn't express explicit belief. Uh, there's no record for us that he expresses belief. Uh, don't get me wrong, Peter's really clear that you need to believe in order to receive forgiveness. But I want to suggest that Luke, our author, he intentionally records for us um, that God is acting, God is taking initiative here. And he doesn't record explicit belief just to highlight God's stamp of approval, that he is accepting the nations. So what is God doing in the world today? Um, he is accepting the nations. And I wonder if this sounds like a big deal to you. And I think part of the problem is we tend to think of ourselves as nice, uh, decent, acceptable people. We, we expect to be accepted. And in one sense, uh, that might be true. Uh, perhaps you are a really nice, a decent person to uh, someone, uh, people around you. Uh, but consider Cornelius. He was a devout man. He was a decent man. Uh, but he lived without reference to Jesus. And he still needed acceptance. And us too. I mean, if we don't live with reference to Jesus, or we believe the lie that life without God is better than life with him, uh, we are not acceptable. Uh, the world is not acceptable. And if the world is not acceptable, point one, God taking initiative to make the nations acceptable to him is huge. Uh, it's a big deal what's happening here. See, we are the nations. Chapter 
10 of Acts is the key reason why we are here. Uh, forgiveness is offered to us. So what is God doing today? Uh, he is accepting us. And the, the thought that God is changing religion uh, might seem that he, he changed his mind, that the nations were perhaps plan B. But I want to say no. Um, the nations was always plan A. If you remember, uh, if you had been with us a couple of weeks ago, we saw in Acts chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 56, uh, verse 4, the eunuchs will be given an everlasting name. Acts chapter 8, uh, we saw an utopian eunuch uh, being brought in to, this, to, the, to the Jesus movement. Um, Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 to 8, this is what it says, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, their offerings will be acceptable. And in Acts chapter 10, we see the foreigner, Cornelius, being brought in. He is made acceptable. In chapter 8, where the eunuch came in, we see in seed form, uh, someone who was closer to Jerusalem, someone who went to the temple. But in Acts chapter 10, uh, the flower is fully bloomed. A full-on foreigner, Cornelius, uh, he is being brought in. God is accepting the nations. So how should we apply uh, the passage today? Uh, we, we could say that because God is accepting the nations, likewise, we need to get behind this movement of the gospel to the nations. And in this climate, I want to suggest that there are many options for us to be doing so. Ed, some of you guys might know, a couple of days was sharing with us that because of the resurrection, we have a huge hope. And as Christians, if we have this hope, we must tell, tell that hope. And I was thinking about this for the past couple of weeks. I was wondering how Christians, how are Christians different in this whole situation? And I'm sure you've been reading the news that over the past few weeks, there have been a lot of good acts in society. Um, as I come home, there's, I, there's a security door that I have to walk through before I get to my flat. And on the security door, I saw a poster the other day about a young lady offering to help to buy groceries for the people in the estate. I mean, really great acts of kindness. And I was asking, um, how are Christians different? But I want to suggest that only Christians have the resource to be truly self-sacrificial. I've been reading news that things in Italy um, are starting to bite. Things are getting more desperate. There's no more singing from the balconies. And when things get worse and worse, people start to look for their, self, their, their own interests first. But you see, Christians, we have a king who is truly self-sacrificial. He's the one who gave up his life for others. And we Christians do have a hope to come in the future. So we must tell, we must tell of this hope. Uh, we could also apply this passage in a way in which the people that we tell, we cannot discriminate. Uh, God shows no partiality and neither should we. Uh, so let me ask, do you have a preference uh, for who you sit next to in church? Uh, maybe not much of a choice now, um, but if things do get back to normal, do you have a preference in who you sit next to church? Or do you think if people are too bad or too good for the gospel? 
Or when you share the gospel, do you discriminate based on race or cultural background or gender? You see, God shows no partiality and we go against his character if we discriminate. There is no discrimination. I think those are two good ways we can apply this passage, but I think the primary way that this passage is encouraging us is two areas of certainty and assurance. You think about Theophilus as Luke writes to him and he tells him that God is accepting the nations, that gives that will give him much certainty and assurance. But the big encouragement is that today, that even in this situation, even in midst of a crisis, God is still accepting the nations. You see, this virus has reminded the West that we are not in control. Uh, death is a reality. And over the past week, I've been speaking to friends and uh, colleagues at church and some of you guys as well, that more than ever, people are tuning in to hear sermons online, reading Christian articles. The gospel is going out more so in this crisis. You see, God is not on his couch. He is not watching The Good Place on Netflix. God is not in self-isolation, pruning his garden or mowing his lawn. God is on the move. Uh, he is taking initiative. He is accepting the nations, even in this crisis, all the more so in this crisis. In the third century, uh, the plague of Siren, uh, there were 5,000 deaths a day in ancient in Rome. And the Christians, because they were self-sacrificial, uh, that won many people over to Christ. On the 9th of Jan, 2020, um, we started the series in Acts. And we saw in Acts chapter 1, and we asked the question, what is Jesus' agenda for 2020? And we saw that in Acts chapter 1, it's for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And back then, we didn't know that this crisis would happen. But the agenda is still the same. In fact, the agenda is going more and more, even in this crisis. I promise you, um, as much as what some might say, I'm not a prophet, I'm not Prophet Joel, I can't tell the future. But I won't be surprised if whenever this whole crisis is over, if it's ever over, when we look back, uh, we will see how the Lord was really accepting the nations during this time. So if you are doubting God in this situation, be encouraged that God is accepting you. Be encouraged that he's on the move. And perhaps you might not call yourself a follower of Jesus today. Um, I want you to know that God is on the move for you. It doesn't matter who you are, what race you are, what religion you come from, what sort of background, whether you're male or female, God is on the move for all. Uh, he's accepting you. There's good news of peace. Uh, Jesus, he is the Lord of all. Uh, he's the one appointed to be the judge of all, both the living and the dead. And that includes you. And everyone and anyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness. And that includes you. So what is God doing today? Uh, he is accepting the nations. Uh, he is accepting us. Let me pray. 
Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his kindness, um, he has flung open the gates of heaven. Thank you, Father, that in your kindness, you show no partiality, that everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus will be accepted by you. And we praise you for this amazing truth. And we ask, Father, that you might give us real boldness and love for people around us so that they may know the forgiveness that you offer. And may you be drawing them to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.